listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. Jesus said to the crowd, They will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare before you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking, that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Good afternoon and welcome. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. Amen. Here we are, a few days before the end of the liturgical year. And the readings at Daily Mass here are just all the weird and wild, wonderful and wild and strange readings from the Bible, so focusing us on the what we call eschatology or the end times and things like the apocalypse, the antichrist, the end of the world, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like wild. And I love it. I just love these topics. Um Maybe it's because growing up watching things like Star Wars and Star Trek and right, you know, but, but also just, um, it's, it's the aspect of our faith that I find so interesting and mysterious, you know, like God has revealed a certain number of things, but it's, it's not all that clear and concrete. And so it, um, it, that makes it, you feel, um, like curious and interested, you know, and, uh, you may have heard me say, if you've been here, um, when I was in college, I took a Bible study class on the book of Revelation. So for a semester, we went through the entire, but it's the last book of the Bible. And we went through this verse by verse by verse by verse. And boy, was it just such an interesting Bible study. And there's a little something I want to share with you about that, which could be helpful. I think a lot of people shy away from reading that book because it's so strange. It's so like scary <laughs> and all these, you know, what do they have? Bowls of wrath and plagues and, you know, angels with sickles doing a harvest. And there's all this stuff. And it's interesting. Uh, God bless the scripture scholars. You know, there's there's people who have gotten uh, advanced degrees in trying to crack the code on some of these things. And it's interesting that in the book of Revelation, um, it seems like John, who is the author had kind of a, a very poetic and artistic and creative plan for the book. There are all these like cycles of things that happen. And um, it, it seems like probably the best explanation is that, uh, that all of these details, it's almost like a circle. That as you read the book of Revelation, you kind of do this circle thing where you come back around. And um, I remember our professor, when we did the Bible study, compared it to a corkscrew. You can imagine a corkscrew, if you look at it from two dimensions, from one dimension, it's a circle. So you have like the seven 
letters to the seven churches. You've got the seven plagues. You've got the seven bowls of wrath. You know, like there's these cycles that keep happening. But then if a corkscrew is also going up, you know, so the, the two dimensions of the corkscrew apparently is the best explanation for the, the literary structure of the book of Revelation. So as you're going through, if you read it from front to back, you, you kind of go through and then you come back to these things and they kind of build on each other as it rises. And um, of course, the, the number one message of the book is shockingly simple <laughs> for all these wild details. What, what's actually being said here is live your faith. Every day, live your faith, struggle to be authentic, to, to follow God and to whatever may be happening in your life, to, to do your best, to be a witness, to testify to his love, to his grace, to his mercy. And, uh, and, in the, and if you happen to find yourself living at a time when there is a persecution, then these, um, these imageries of this book really speak to that, that there will be well, Jesus himself said it in the gospel today, didn't he? There will be times and places where people will be actually persecuted for their faith. Now, at the moment, we're not quite there in our country, so it's a little strange for us. But can you imagine um, that if uh, you had a little conversation in your home and you're like, are we going to go to mass today? And you're like, well, there's a chance we may get arrested or killed for going to mass we don't have that here, you know, but there are countries where that, that conversation is happening. And certainly in history, there have been times, for example, today's saint, blessed Miguel Pro, not that long ago, the atheistic anti-Catholic Masonic government of Mexico, they were persecuting and arresting people, torturing them and killing them. And, and here's blessed Miguel Pro, this young, zealous Jesuit priest Oh, yes, you just heard a Franciscan compliment to Jesuit, okay? <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. And he was so just such a great witness, you know, as he served his people. He had to do a lot of things in hiding because it was dangerous. And yet the thing that I really love about him is he had a great sense of humor. Even in the midst of this horrible thing where bad things were happening, he, he was uh, joyful. And there's even one story which is probably his most famous story where he's hiding and they come to the house to arrest him. Do you know this story? He sneaks out the window. He puts on a disguise of a police officer uniform. He comes back in the door and scolds the police officers for letting the priest get away. But it was him in a disguise. How hilarious is that? Blessed Miguel Pro, pray for us. Wow. And um, I highlight that for you because I think there's a little message here, which I think is really important. When things get tough and when the culture gets crazy and we find ourselves being persecuted for our faith, there is a temptation to lose our joy. There is a temptation to give ourselves over to anger and worry and fear and anxiety. And it's like, oh yeah, those Catholics, they're the ones that are so unhappy. You know, that we're so upset about everything and we're so... Um, and I don't think the Lord wants us to do that. The Lord wants us, you know, to maintain our joy, our peace. God is still God. Even if you want to come and kill me, it's going to be okay. So I'm, I'm going to go to heaven on the express train, no local stops, right? And we're told that in the book of Revelation, the martyrs are there in heaven in the presence of God. What are they doing? They sing the song of Moses. That's the song they sing after the Exodus. They come through the Red Sea 
And in Exodus 15, they sing this joyful song praising God for his glory. And that's what the martyrs are doing in heaven. And that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to praise God for his love, for his grace, for his mercy, for his justice, for his goodness. And um, not only in history, as the book of Revelation is teaching us about how God relates to history, but also in our own history. Because we're going to be so intimately aware of the ways that God's grace worked in our own life. And we are going to be so happy. We are going to be so surprised. We are going to be so filled with joy and gratitude. Thanksgiving. You knew I was going to talk about Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) That we will be singing the new song of Moses, praising God for the ways that he worked in history, but more importantly, in my own history my own story, my own life, the details of the things that we're all going through, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. We will thank God. We will praise God. And so I'll end on that note, a spirituality of gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, tomorrow is the secular holiday of Thanksgiving, and this is our day, right? The word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Jesus gave thanks. He invites us to give thanks always. Amen. Amen. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus answered, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you peace. Amen. This is really quite an unusual day. It's a secular holiday. And some of you all over the internet, there'll be the story of the first Thanksgiving and et cetera, et cetera. But the church has somewhat welcomed it and embraced it. There are proper prayers for a proper mass for the USA for Thanksgiving. And um, I have friends from other countries who tell me they're jealous. You know, like it's such a great idea to have a, a day dedicated to thanking God for the blessings and um, on the Catholic internet, there's all these people saying the real things, first Thanksgiving was when those guys landed in Florida and said mass in 1562. That was the real, you know, it's the word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. And um, so of all the places we could give thanks to God, to do so at mass feels particularly appropriate because that's what we do here. We, we join Jesus's Thanksgiving to the Father. And um, I'm sure many... Preachers will be giving sermons today about thanking God and 
and counting our blessings and, and all the things that, um, that are good. You know, that's what you do when you encounter something good, somewhat of a natural, spontaneous reaction to give thanks. Um, and I thought, well, the origins of the word thanks or gratitude or the, uh, the Hebrew background to the thank offering, the todah, I was like, I'm not going to talk about any of that. I'm just going to tell a few stories. Um, one of the things I love to do early in the morning here at the shrine, nobody's around except for all the animals, is I'd love to come to this little um, field over here. And you know, when Mother Mary came to Fatima to the little shepherd children, it kind of was like that. It was just a field and they would have sheep or whatever. And uh, there's a story that the little shepherd children used to love to say their rosary by screaming the word Hail Mary, and then they would wait for the echo. You know, so they wouldn't even say, like, I think they got a little bit of a correction when they finally saw Mother Mary's like, no, like, you need to pray the real rosary here, okay? But you can imagine these little kids just yelling, Hail Mary, and then you would hear the echo, you know. You could do it kind of quickly, <laughs> the, the express rosary. Um, so I love to come here in the mornings and, and shout things into the field here. <laughs> If any of you live close by, you may hear it. I don't know. And I love to sing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning from the musical Oklahoma. You know, is anyone familiar with that song? Okay. For those of you who aren't, I will sing a verse for you. Okay. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. <laughs> All right. So a little insight into my strange brain. Okay. <laughs> And um, there's something in that song. There's, there's an expression of gratitude and joy and a thanking God for all that's going well. And um, when I sing that song, and I often yell it to the field here and wait for the echo, um, then I, I get a little laugh because um, that really has not been my experience at all. <laughs> Pretty much every day, things go wrong constantly. So th this... I, that song becomes sarcasm for me and it makes me laugh. You know, like sometimes I want to sing, nothing is going my way. And uh, that's what I'd like to preach about today. You know, you don't have to have the gift of faith to, to be grateful for good things, you know, and your, your favorite football team wins, you know, but what about when your favorite fo football team loses? You know, um, it's not easy to be grateful, but there's something different when the gift of faith enters in. And so um, there's going to be an element to this homily that's going to be a little uncomfortable. And I think hopefully it's going to be uncomfortable in a good way. Um, I do believe there is a thing known as optimism. You ever meet an optimistic person? They just, they kind of say the glass is half full, you know, and they kind of tend to have a cheerful, sunny outlook on life and uh, tend to be somewhat of a positive person. Maybe some of you here today are that way. Um, I used to be that way. <laughs> and then when you get older, it's hard to hold on to that. But, you know, I think there is a, a, um, there is a way in which pure optimism needs to die. You know, I think, uh, pure optimism, pure optimism, just the general idea, everything's great. I think on some level that needs to die. And the reason why it needs to die is because only when optimism dies, can it make way for hope the theological virtue of hope that we could have a joy and a gratitude even when things are not good, even when we're suffering. That's what I want to talk about today. There is where it becomes really shocking and strange that a person could be grateful 
and give thanks to God when things are really hard. And that's a lesson I learned over the years, living and working and serving the poor. So, you know, uh, with the Friars, our community, we're in those neighborhoods. We're mostly working with, you know, drug addicted, mentally ill and homeless people. And on today, on all the monasteries and friaries, they'll have a big meal for the poor. And that's something we normally do. So Brother Pius and I have been talking, like, it just feels so weird to not be at a friary. We're out here, and um, we don't have an outreach to the poor here yet. And so we're going to be, you know, doing what we're going to do. But um, there's a, a thing that I've learned, which I wanted to share with you. Um, so I'm going to change the person's name. But there was a guy who used to come around our friary in Harlem. I'm going to say his name is John. That's not his real name. And uh, he was kind of a big guy, not only physically, but also personality-wise. He had a really big personality. And uh, he used to come around because we were giving out food and coffee. And and uh, little by little, the friars, we, we kind of have a thing where we don't just want to give people food or a roof over their head, but also to establish relationships with them, you know, and real friendship because often... The, the deepest poverty is loneliness and the idea that you don't matter. Um, and I think the Lord has called us to minister to that wound. And so lo and behold, many of us, including myself, we started to become friends with this guy, got to know his story. And um, out of all the stories I've heard and the people I've gotten to know over the years, this particular guy stands out. The, his story was such a heartbreak. The things that happened to him growing up, um, in the poor inner city of New York City, you know, a lot of kind of classic things. He never knew his dad, which is a wound in and of itself. And his mother was extremely abusive in many ways. I'll spare you the details. And so he grew up uh, suffering, tremendous suffering. And um, he had had some, some very serious mental health issues and some addiction issues. And he had tried to take his life several times and had failed each time, thank God. And uh, through all of that, coming to our friary, the Lord did something incredibly beautiful in this man's life. And he received the gift of faith and prayer. And um, boy, did he taught me so many things. And uh, one of the things the Lord gave him was a great sense of humor. He had the ability to kind of laugh at things that really were were hard and difficult. And, and you could see how that grace helped him to kind of navigate life and to, to get through things. But ultimately... And here's the thing that, that is really amazing. The ability to be grateful and to give thanks to God, even in the midst of suffering, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that was the lesson that this John had learned, that no matter what he'd been through, no matter you know the, the laundry list of suffering that he was part of his story, um, when he would hear these words of Jesus, that God has revealed something to those who are little and humble and that if we're laboring and burdened, we can come to him and we can find rest because of his death and resurrection and because of what waits for us on the other side, the redemption, eternal life, the healing of every wound, the defeat of death, all of these things that Jesus gave us changes the perspective. Like no matter what you go through, and St. Paul himself will say that, won't he? What can separate us from the love of Christ? And he has this list of horrible things, you know, it's danger and persecution and suffering and persecute, you know, none of that because of the redemption, because of what waits for us at the, on the other side. And, you know, here at the end of the liturgical year, the readings at mass 
are focusing us on eternal life, on the other side, what waits for us. And um, that, when you're able to tap into that, boy, that's when it really gets good. That's when you're able to be grateful and thankful to God, even for the, the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings. That's when you start to see how the Beatitudes that Jesus gave us start to make sense. Blessed are the poor. How could you ever say that? In what way is it a blessing to be poor, to be in need? Are you, you know, blessed are those, and you go down all those lists who are persecuted. And um, my favorite one is blessed are those who mourn. How can Jesus say to, to us, blessed are you if you mourn? Meaning that somebody you love very dearly has died. And it's because they're not actually dead. <laughs> they're more alive than we are. Because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated death. And, you know, that alone is such a game changer. That alone is the thing that even for if we struggle with fear for our own death, you know, Jesus has the authority to tell us, you know, do not be afraid. I've overcome. I've conquered. I go to prepare a place for you that the redemption is waiting for us. The undoing of every evil thing. It's not a fantasy. It's not some pious story that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. It's real. Not only can we have our sins forgiven, <laughs> but the Lord will also give us the redemption. The redemption is, is it's the mystery par excellence. It's the plan of God. It's amazing. And, uh, and in praying over that this morning, I was thinking about a couple of funny examples from things we know. Thinking about, um, I was actually thinking about blood, believe it or not. The power of what blood does. It's God is the one who invented that. You know that it brings oxygen to your body, and then the same blood cleanses the impurities, you know? And that um, if you're wounded or cut, that blood can form a scab, and there's a healing there. I was thinking about bones. You know, a broken bone, once it's set and heals again, Brother Pius tells me, he knows everything medical, a broken bone is stronger than before, after it heals. And I kind of feel like all of those things in some ways become like a sign. If we have eyes to see, a sign from God, that no matter what we may go through here, even like something like my friend John, who has had some unusual suffering, that all of that, once, once we get home to heaven, once we're in God's glory, once we start to experience the fullness of the redemption, none of that is going to matter. You know, all of that will be healed. And we will give thanks to God for so many things. You know, and even now, brothers and sisters, this is the power of our faith, that we can give a unique witness to the world, the world that is falling apart before our eyes. Yes, it is. <laughs> The world that is so filled with anger and worry and anxiety and um, fear. And then here we come. We can be peaceful and joyful and grateful, not because we're floating above it all. No, we're suffering too, aren't we? We're suffering too, but we see our suffering differently because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and because of the redemption that waits for us. You know, uh, for me personally, I think the most difficult things I've ever been through is the death of my loved ones. I think you've heard me share before 
that my mother and her mother and her mother were all going to chemotherapy together. You know, they all had cancer at the same time. And that was so hard seeing loved ones suffer. And then they passed away. And um, the thing that's so powerful is you go through the grieving process, particularly for those of us who have faith. It's the Holy Spirit transforms that grief into a deeper longing for heaven. You know, that we will see them again. They even pray for us now, which is amazing. And those most painful moments can be transformed and they can become a cause for gratitude. To be thankful for something that hurt so bad. And it's only Jesus who can give us the grace to do that because of his death and resurrection, because of the redemption that waits for us. We can have joy and gratitude even in difficult things. Yeah, (laughs) even when... We're dying to self as we serve others, you know. It can be a joy. It can be a blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, on this day uh, that our whole country uh, in some way presses the pause button and uh, to give thanks to God, and we call to mind all the good things. Of course, we give thanks for the good things. But allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to a deeper place where we can even be grateful for the hard things, the difficult things, the... um. The, the things that uh, are so painful is God is good and trustworthy and loving and the, the redemption that waits for us will make sense of it all. And until that day, we have the virtue of hope, um, knowing that if only we persevere with his grace, all things will be well in the Lord. Amen. been listening to from the friars podcast the community of franciscan friars the renewal please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media cfr underscore franciscans